0: What is up, NUX? It's St. Patrick's Day, and Sean and I are bringing you what is typically the most anticipated pot of the year, the Stiffy Recap. The teams are drafted. We're less than two weeks away from opening day. Sean and I are going through a general recap uh, and some funny stories that we pulled out of uh, the experience last Saturday, uh, some, some observations of, of how the auction played out as it relates to to where the money was spent uh, the, the always interesting closer market and some of some of the other positional battles uh, talk a little bit about each of our approaches and strategies entering the year uh, some of our favorite buys uh, some of our regrets if you will and then really tackle uh, a pretty fun segment of bold predictions where we try to identify uh, some guys who who could be really big breakouts or really big busts and uh, kind of recap the session, or cap the session, I should say, uh, by covering some of our favorite post-hype sleepers, our favorite bounce-back candidates, and some of the guys who we were avoiding altogether. Hope you don't find your guys on that list, but uh, enjoy. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Like I said, two weeks away from opening day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Probably the most anticipated pod of the the year really if you think about it right like we do some cool ones throughout the year and even mm-hmm. the recap and all but like uh, the, the keeper preview pod is always cool and there's that's when like the anticipation is building but obviously that's only encompasses like a quarter of the roster and now is where we really we're ready to go it's almost opening day less than two weeks away and we've got our rosters and and it's, it's go time oh, yeah. uh so but look, before we dive into kind of that component, just a, a general recap of Stiffy, you know, any any funny stories, any just something, you know, not not baseball related per se, but any highlights that you witnessed uh, in the, throughout the day or evening? Uh, yes, uh, there's
1: a couple. And I, 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 you know, every time I don't remember everything and I see things on Facebook that remind me and I did try to take it a little easy this time. So I remembered better than most. Um, the the one that like I woke up the next day and was like I can't believe that happened was when Keith called out uh, Ryan Halsey and then got called for having a shot and then discovering that he was the one who actually had him already. like <laughs> well, How did you do that? And I, I it took me a minute because like when he called it and everyone called him out for a shot, I just went back to my board and like all right, who do I have to look for? Who am I trying to pick? Like what's going on in my head? And I totally ignored what was going on and so like two or three minutes later only to discover that he did that. And so like, for me, it was, it was funny at first. And then I went back and hyper-focused and then I went back and I learned that he, it was even funnier than, than what really like went down. And it, so it was just, for me, was, was over the top ridiculous. And then uh, the other one was with, uh, it was kind of, I think me and you that were the only ones who really kind of noticed it. But when, um, and I, I the Kiebert Ruiz thing on Boots' team, when he, when Brian called out a catcher, you and I looked at each other like, wait a minute, what? and like we we both looked at brian and we're like is that like is that on his paper did he tell you to do that because we were gonna i I feel like we were both gonna say like no don't do that like brian if you're calling that like maybe he doesn't understand that there's a catcher outfield eligibility situation going on here and he was just thinking like oh i'm gonna pick up this catcher for boots and uh he's like no he wrote it on here it's on here that he won it was like all right then like (laughs) if boots one boots gets what he wants and so like me and you're both just sitting there
0: like holy cow what are you doing he's he's definitely cornering that catcher market got to get that depth there <laughs> at the backstop position yeah uh, yeah i know brian was in a tough spot of trying to you know execute on behalf of boots while you know filling in the gaps and generally did a pretty good job i think for him uh but yeah i think that the funny thing it, it was actually before, before we even started uh charlie called me aside like when i went in and it, mm-hmm. she, it was when frank was just ripping that fat blunt and uh, <laughs> she's like daddy daddy someone's doing something bad out there and i go what are you talking about She's like, he, he's smoking <laughs> and as she's doing it as she says he's smoking she's like she, like not like she doesn't use like her two fingers like a peace sign like smoking a cigarette she did it like a joint you know like the little like the, uh, the, the okay like they say he's smoking <laughs> and she's like pantomiming it yeah exactly and I'm like no no it's not what it looks like like and she's old enough now to where like you know I, I used to be able to pull the wool over her eyes but she's like no dad I know what I saw I'm like, it's it's yeah like, he's, we'll talk about he's it. breathing
1: fire right now dad there's something <laughs> coming out of his mouth we'll talk about it (laughs) with that one in mind too uh um at after you know second half or third trimester whatever we were doing and uh demand finally partook in jimmy's uh little sticks of glory and five minutes later we're we're like around in the horn and getting back to demand and so i you know i I started doing this years ago and just took the job of making sure people stay on and are calling people out or calling names out that is and uh I, I called out the man and like he doesn't listen to me he's just like he's he's getting to like Jupiter and he's slowly <laughs> rotating around Jupiter at like satellite within the gravity and like he's not coming down <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh man the man's toast and he, he pulled it together really well but uh, I just was like oh Jimmy what did you do you just took the draft and you turned it upside down real quick <laughs> just
0: just fucking rip the e-brake yeah (laughs) oh man well overall it was a very efficient auction four to maybe four and a half hours like start to finish probably Mm -hmm. the quickest we've gone through it and minimal yelling and frustration it's always a bummer like we always look forward to this day and then usually the last 30, 45 minutes, everyone's just pissed off. Um, and I didn't sense that this year. Like, the, you know, no. like, of course, some people kind of finished a little sooner. As, you know, it has to be an, uh, an order of completion. But by and large, you know, it was uh, pretty good vibes through and through. I think supplemental, moving the supplemental was, you know, had something to do with that. It's uh, yeah. probably the right call. And we definitely had like the strongest supplemental draft ever. Like you go back yeah. and look through that board <laughs> and it's like you may not agree with every pick, but there's nothing like outlandish, right? Like they're all there's rhyme and reason to all the selections and I thought it was fun to kind of extend the 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 draft fun uh yeah. into the, the middle of the week or so. We got through it pretty expeditiously and then poker night at the tail end was a blast. uh it had like nine guys playing and I fared pretty well, but the man was the big winner. He cashed like, he oh really? Oh yeah, he won like six hundred bucks or so. He paid for his trip <laughs> that night. That's like, awesome. This, the guy just like, I'm like, oh, I got a straight. He's like, I got a flush. I'm like, oh, okay, I got three of a kind. Oh, I got a straight. Like he just, <laughs> someone always had something. He always had something better. The guy was just crushing everybody. So he was definitely the big winner of the night, and that was a a fun evening. Uh, yeah, a fun way to kind of nightcap it I, for the. I sat there for room.
1: like uh, I sat there for like thirty minutes. Thinking like can i wait this out and drive myself home and like it got to the point like no just just get an uber get out of here you gotta go and so i was just like <laughs> yeah. in my own head kind of like bouncing around in your uh, in the garage while you guys were playing just totally not paying attention whatsoever it was like i just gotta get out of here i'm i'm, I'm at the end of my rope here <laughs> but it was oh, fun. I, don't, I don't blame you and, and one thing i wanted to mention because i was going to talk about it later but you brought it up was uh, the supplemental stuff and um like, yeah, the, you know, waiver wire day comes, which I think was yesterday or even Wednesday. They cleared,
0: cleared today. They cleared today. Oh, today. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: And usually it's like everybody's got somebody to drop it. They're just like, God, this guy, why is he on my team? There's somebody better to pick up. And um, there was only really two people that, that dropped supplemental picks that, uh, or maybe there was a couple more than that, but like it just seemed like a scenario where, yeah, you're right. Like the supplemental over the week really – helped that where people weren't scrambling on the waiver wire and maybe that's a good thing. It's a bad thing. I think Keith was the only one who spent a hundred bucks in this waiver wire ad, but it was, it was kind of funny to see the, uh, the difference that like everyone seemed kind of satisfied and settled.
0: Yeah. There was, there was no, like, oh, I, I dropped it. I dropped it. This guy. <laughs> like <am> I <laughs> move him? Yeah. The people yeah. who made moves were pretty much chasing that Mets closer situation, which is yeah. awful for Decker and for the Mets and for baseball. And I added somebody, but I had DL spots. So it wasn't like I was just dropping. I know um, I'm waiting on that. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's move into kind of the actual auction observations into the, the meat and potatoes of the, of the pod. Um, Kind of the, one of the first observations I made is the big money up top for the key players, right? The strength of the keepers. We talked about that heading in, how the keeper sets were particularly strong, and so that kind of suggested higher than usual inflation and, and some presumably some wild prices for the superstars. And that's exactly what we saw. Uh, Mike Trout still has the record for the most expensive buy at seventy three bucks, but Mookie joined the seventy dollar club. We had three or four other guys in the sixties did that play out the way you anticipated and, and did you have any intentions of getting one of those top guys or did you kind of know you were going to be priced out from the jump? Uh Yeah, there was definitely um,
1: hope, but you know, when I cap things at like 45 bucks, it's it, the hope dwindles very quickly. I, I did have my eye and hopes on Machado specifically. Um, I, I was looking at the third base stuff and I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but he was one that was on my radar and I, w- I would have probably went to 50, but after that, there was, was no reason to, to go that high in, in my mind. Um, and uh, Freeman, I would have liked to have. Uh, Jose Ramirez was was one, but I, I figured Nick, who was going to be all over him, it turned out to be Boots, who was the maniac. Um, so there was just, the, you know, there's the top 10 who, like, I'm not touching those guys, and went into it with that mindset that like, I'll put my money out there and see where it goes, but if I don't get it, I'm not going to be sour whatsoever
0: right yeah it, it played out kind of the way i thought it was like there was just a lot of money to be spent on, on those guys and then machado was clearly one of those situations where he wasn't the best available but he was the next best available by far and and mm-hmm. it played out like we see a lot of times where the second guy goes for more than the first guy right yeah. because you know jimmy or i think jimmy lane and machado so presumably he was in on ramirez and bowed out at a certain point around 59 $60 and figured that Machado would be cheaper as he should be. But that just, you know, that, that the old adage, last good, their basement, you know, the thing we say like every third nomination uh, was very true in that sense. Um, yeah. and, and I'll say this. So I, I was driving, I had a, a little work event in Huntington yesterday. I was driving home in traffic and I, I re-listened to the, the solo pod it did on the option projection prices, just, like now okay now i know what people went for like i wonder you know how this landed um and it was it was pretty dialed in to the auction results like there's always going to be some variance but i'll say for anyone who didn't take the 20 minutes to listen to that uh, if i if i have the time and, and do that again next year i would definitely recommend you know giving that a whirl because it's just really helpful to have an understanding of what you're going to need to spend to get the guys that you like. And it just gives you a little bit more control in what's a very chaotic environment, right? Like it, it, yeah. it's, you know, there's, there's always going to be swings, but like, you know, if, if, if a, if a first baseman, you know, there, there's a few first basemen projected to go for like 15 bucks, like one might go 18, one might go 12, but you put 15 in there, you're going to get one of those guys that you like. And so it's just a, a little bit of a way to kind of control the auction and your plan right. as much as possible. in, in what's, Obviously, a completely uncontrollable environment.
1: Yeah, I went uh, after the first break. I went over to talk with uh, Brian and Keith, favorite chat, and I interrupted them just for like, so guys, or Brian specifically, because Keith is already well aware of how crazy we are. But uh, like, Brian, so how, how do you feel about this? Uh, where is it a little different than the other league? And he goes, Yeah, it's a little bizarre. And him and Keith are just basically calling out how, like, apparently we're like the anomaly and the Fantasy baseball world where we do this, but it's got to be other people out there who have these wild, like highs and lows. But you know, you see the Yahoo projections and other projections out there who have guys that are like, you know, 40, 50 bucks. It actually, while I was adding in players into the Yahoo uh, draft stuff, like it puts the dollar amount that yahoo just next to them. And there were some guys that were like in the 10, $15 range that were spot on, but then there was the 50, 60 guys and they were like $30, $40 on Yahoo. And so we're cre- clearly not go by Yahoo saying it. So it was, it was interesting to pick their brain for a couple of minutes about how, you know, we're, we're just so different than the rest of the world and how Keith has to adjust and does things differently, but then gets trapped because he does something that he does in our league, but then in the other league, it doesn't make sense. And it just, it was very weird dynamic, but uh, interesting conversation real quick.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very unique to us, but it like, it makes sense. And I think anyone who doesn't want to, you know, if you if you don't play at the top of the market just because you don't have a lot of money to spend, like me this year, that's one thing. But um, I think it makes sense to pay up for those guys in our league because number one, like those dollar values on Yahoo, first of all, are not keeper leagues, right? So there's <laughs> no inflation. There's no yeah. inflation to account for at all. And then also, um, you know, like if you're in a league, I think like the Keith and Brian's league, I think I don't even think they have free ads. I think they have like one midseason no. little mini supplemental draft, like when you need to have depth. Like you can't really go stars yeah. and scrubs. You can't really pay all the way up at the top because you're just going to get so murdered at the bottom end of your roster. Whereas yeah. we have the means to to churn and replace guys that don't play well or get hurt or whatever. And so you can be way more aggressive to get those those star That's players. It's true. just really it's about the the league format, right? So um, I think that like we're we're different, but people are doing it right because otherwise. Uh, hey, I would love to scoop up all this to the top players, but yeah. there's there's you know they get driven up for a reason. Right. So,
1: closers, for example.
0: <laughs> closers, for example, a good segue. Yeah, big question mark heading into the auction was the closer market, right? Do that the just the the ever-dwindling supply of those bona fide closers. I wasn't sure if people were gonna pay up or if they were gonna run away entirely. You and I both steered clear of that market. Was that your intention, or did you just kind of see how hard, how, how hot that market was, and pivot away from it? Yeah,
1: and uh, I, I'll get a little bit more in depth on this later. But uh, I, I, you know, for years now, I've been anti-closer. <laughs> it's very apparent, and uh, this year was no different. Um, truly, there was like ten guys worth owning, and they all were fifteen dollars plus. Um, Everybody else is a question mark, and like just like Degrom and and Scherzer, who are very talented and worthy of spending a lot of money on, there's their question marks, and that's one thing that I, I think everyone should avoid in a draft is question marks. You don't you can take risks, and we do. I I'm I'm being very hypocritical right now, but uh, certain things like that specifically, and the volatility of the closure market specifically, is just the biggest question mark of all, and uh, just one where. I'm not going to spend $3 on a guy who might get 10 saves in the beginning of the season. And then he loses his job. Maybe he comes back and does a couple of them here and there. It's just such a spotty position that I, I just don't see the value of putting my dollars there when I can boost myself elsewhere. And you know, the the goal of my game is to win seven to five. And if I can do that, if I have a better chance at that, by cutting saves by itself, and I'm going to take that route It's just more and more apparent to me over the years, that that's a, a good strategy.
0: I paid up last year for Hendricks because I saw him as the best closer and safest closer pretty much in baseball. And then I didn't pay up for like anybody else. And, but outside of that Hendricks by yeah, I have the same philosophy as you the last three, four or five years. It's just, you know, a couple bucks on a guy here or there who might be the guy or a dominant reliever who might find the ninth. But I, I tend to agree. That's just not really where I want to spend my resources. I pulled up the, the ATC projections. They feel like they do a pretty good job on saves. I mean, as good as you can on what's yeah. a really difficult category to predict. And so according to ATC, there's 18 closers who are projected for 20-plus saves. So we'll call those primary closers, though we know how little water that designation holds. 17 out of those 18 closers are rostered by six managers. The only other one is Pete Fairbanks, who I drafted in the supplemental, and we all know the Rays aren't a team that really hands the job to a primary closer. So for all intents and purposes, half the league has three legit closers, and the other half either punted entirely or speculating on some dominant relievers that could find their way into the role. And so Decker, Eli, Frank, Ferd, Keith, and Nick have three-plus legit closers, and the rest of us are, like I said, either punted or are completely speculating. And just kind of looking at that, the guys who have the closers should win the category 77% of the time. So 50% of the time versus the other teams who have closers and 100% of the times versus the guys without, which means if you punted, you can still probably win the category almost 25% of the time because so many other teams are in the same boat. Uh, Another way to think of this is, The guys with closers would go 16 and 5 in the category, and the guys without closers would go 5 and 16. So that's an 11-game swing in the standings. It's significant, but of course you have to factor in that the guys who spent their closer money elsewhere should be stronger in other categories, right? But for saves alone, those six managers have a distinct edge, at least according to the projections, and obviously it's kind of temporary because those of us who, who punted early, we tend to try to find our way into some closers, through the wire through trades at least you know try to build some semblance of a bullpen before the playoffs so it won't necessarily be this you know half the people the, the halves versus the have-nots the entire season but out of the gate you know there's it, it, i i posed the question early like are people going to commit big time or are they going to run away from it and it was basically split down the middle half the league said <laughs> i'm going all in i'm getting them and half the league said Fuck it, i'm out and uh, yeah. and there's and and what's crazy about that is there was st- look at those prices considering only half the league was bidding on them
1: right, right. like it's, That's it's weird
0: it'd be one thing if all 12 of us were buying for them but I mean those prices were big even just for the guys who who wanted them and so yeah I, I mean I, I I feel like eventually i'll find my way to to some saves but i'm in your'm in your boat right now uh is is it time to vote on saves plus holds you know i don't mean like Right this moment, but you you've been a proponent of it, yeah. And I feel like I feel like it's going that direction. So um, I didn't want to do it before the auction, like immediately before the auction, because I felt like that was kind of fucked that it could have changed people's plans or whatever. But um, it's definitely something that is just continuing to be. Uh, it's it continues to rise up to like it just makes sense, right? Like the way that the yep. game's going. But um, it'll be interesting to see if we put that out to a vote, kind of where people fall on that.
1: Yeah, because guys like um, two guys I had my eye on were Duran and Minter. Um, I think Duran went for three or four bucks, and Minter was maybe a couple bucks as well.
0: And I was hoping, you know, no, was, yeah, because demand took him, and you said, "That's right, that's right, that's fuck right. you, <laughs> pussy," or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's
1: right. Um, yeah, so those are guys that, like, in a hold situation, they would be ten dollar guys. They get a lot of strikeouts. They get the holds. They had great ratios. They would they would pull money from elsewhere, and it would all even out in the end. Where we, again, we would eventually learn how to use it, just like we're doing now. And uh, I think it would just open up the pool a little bit more, make it a little bit more fun, bring the relievers back to relevance.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, well, I told you in the September the, the marathon pod we did with Fern. <laughs> that I think you, you finally, after lobbying for years, you probably won my vote over. Um, I think I would be willing to give it a shot. So we'll have to open that up for discussion on the heels of this pod here. Anything else on closers before we move on to? Nope. All right. Well, you talked a little bit about earlier, you mentioned the the third base cliff and, and on the preview pod, we discussed that it was a scarce position this year after those top two or three guys available. You and I approached this completely differently. You landed Alex Bregman for, I think $34. Keep me honest there. And I left the auction without a third baseman, like at all. <laughs> I, I was my my prospect stash, Ellie de la Cruz was my third baseman. Were you dead set on getting one of those few guys at the top, or did you just kind of see an opportunity and, and some value in Bregman just the way he was being bid on that night?
1: uh, yeah, um the 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 drop off was just too much. um there's the second base drop off, which we might hit on later, but in my opinion, the second base drop off was. There was the plateau of like the elite guys and then there was a huge cliff. And then it was just like a long desert where everybody was on the same playing field. Uh, but in the third base market, it seemed more like, well, there's this big cliff. And then like, it continues to keep going down and down and down and down very quickly where like you, you just have to get somebody quick or you're stuck with total garbage. Like looking at the list, you know, Rendon, um, Alec Baum, there's just guys on there that are just landmines, in my opinion. And so I, again, with Machado being my main target didn't work out. Then I was just like, I, I got to get Bregman. I, I really like uh, what he started to do the second half of last year. I regretted that. I think Ken had him, right. And you traded for him.
0: Uh Yeah, I did. I took on the big contract yeah. there. Yeah. I,
1: I was, uh I was very interested in that, but I just couldn't pull the trigger because I was trying to save my cap space for something else. Um. But like I was watching him, he was he was still doing pretty well, and he just really did it nicely. I think in the isn't like the month of August or something where he went bananas, and uh, so he's a guy I think that over the course of the year will will have consistency that will really help the squad compared to like the other positions, the outfield, the second base, the shortstop. I needed somebody that was consistent like that, and I think he was a good target.
0: I agree. Bregman's is as safe as they come, and I. I always feel like he gets pushed up more than he should in in our league. But like that was last year he went for 50, 34, especially in, in the way the third base market looked this year, was a very fair price for him. And and he's safe with upside, which is like you can pay a premium right. for that in and of its own. That those those things don't always couple together, You're usually kind of getting one or the other. I made the decision to punt the position because I just didn't want to pay up for the top guys, and I didn't see much else I was interested in really and right. there there was one guy i was looking to land for a buck or two but i effectively blocked myself when i bought anthony rizzo um uh, i bid nine bucks on him and it wasn't because i was like in love with him per se i just wasn't gonna let him go for eight and, and i was happy with him at nine but that kind of boxed me out of of getting this third baseman because I, I had other plans for my utility spots and the guy i had my eyes on was Yandi diaz um who yeah. I would have taken, I would have taken him in the first round of the supplemental, but Ken scooped him up for a buck in the auction. And um, it's not that I love him, but I just feel like he was as much safer and, and does also have a little bit more upside than a lot of those guys who you named They're kind of landmines. Um, so the way I approached it was I grabbed two multi-eligible guys in the supplemental, and uh, Brendan Donovan and Isaac Paredes, and figure between the two of them, I should have one guy that I can slot in the third base and the other guy gives yeah. me some flexibility off the bench. You know, I just need one of them to be pretty decent this year. Um, but it'll definitely be an area that I'll be looking to upgrade via free agency or trade at some point in the season, assuming that one of those guys doesn't really, really break out. They're just kind of uh stop gaps. So I have some confidence in each of them for, for separate reasons, but there's not any track record to suggest that either of those guys yeah. is going to be a, championship caliber third right. baseman for me.
1: Yeah, Yandy was the guy who scored very high on my Bluebins rating, so
0: <laughs> I had my eye on him as well. He, you know, I, I don't think at this point in his career he's all of a sudden going to find the launch angle, but no. you can't usually find cheap average and OPS, and that's exactly right. like, he right. he's going to hit 280 with an 800 OPS, and yep. maybe only 16 home runs, and he's not going to run anything, but like, the, the cheap guys are usually like, oh, I can find 30 homers, but he's going to hit 210. Or I can find yeah. 30 steals, but he's going to have a 615 OPS. Like, you, you can't find cheap average in OPS, and that's exactly what he gives you.
1: Yeah, and he's uh, he's leadoff, I think, typically. So it's a good place to have him.
0: Yeah, like like the buy there from Ken. That was a good one. And I tried to trade for him, actually. Um in, right around the beginning of the supplemental and, and Ken is high on him as well I was hoping that it was just someone that he just kind of threw a buck at because his list was dwindling but he likes him and uh, I think he's smart to like him for, for the time <laughs> being at least Yeah. So, it, any other just kind of general observations before we go into more specifically into your strategy and approach this year? No
1: I think uh, anything else we'll just kind of hit as we roll through I, I, I spent a lot of time
0: on this writing stuff out so I think we'll cover things pretty well Sounds good. Well, well, I'm always curious to hear, you know, how an individual went about their business here. Like I know that you, you know, obviously we always have to be fluid and willing to roll with the punches because you can't control the the auction room, but we tend to go into it with some overall strategy and approach. What was yours this year? So I think I
1: had mentioned it in the past uh, pod or two actually, um, but I was pretty into the idea of doing the uh, stars and scrubs, taking cups uh, strategy this year, just like, you know, let's see what happens. I, it's it's definitely got to the point over the years where um, I, I have some strategies that I think are are good and work, but I want to have some fun. I, I want to get out there and get some expensive guys, get some cheap guys, see if I can put it together. And um, I went back and forth on it, but I think I got a, a good, well-rounded team with that. And uh, the fun part about it for me is that if I did mess up and I fail. I've, I've got some big names that I can trade at the deadline and um, I can maybe I've got, I think like nine, $1 guys. If I land with just one of those, maybe two um, then maybe I can flip those guys and take a chance on ranking a run for it. There's just, it's, it's not just the draft, the draft strategy here it's full season strategy. And depending on how things roll, I have options on what I can do down the road. And so I, I like that, uh, that part of it specifically. But, um, wanted to get, you know, a couple of the bigger guys of the shallow positions. Like we talked about Bregman um, second base was one where I was uh, the more I looked at it, the deeper I realized it was, like I said, it's, it's not that it's deep with good players. It's just that it's a deep position and there's a lot of players, same with kind of shortstop middle infield in general. And so um, the more I looked at it, I was like, well, I, c- I think I can score a guy for a buck here and like really get some strong value out of this compared to everybody else. You know, if we're all in the same boat and, um we're you know in a little dinghy then great we're all in the same dinghy and we're all competing with our little dinghies here <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> that's that's gonna be a quote <laughs> right there so <laughs> yeah so uh I felt good about like all right I'm gonna go big on some guys like uh Harper I, I think was it you and I that was battling over this guy for, and ended up on 45 bucks for him um, I was in it said- for a while but
0: I bowed out upper 30s
1: so maybe someone was just like price checking me, but I, 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 he, uh, him and, uh, Castillo, I think were the two guys that I was, I went into the draft, like I'm going to get those two guys. And so, um, I, I put the money out for him. I, I like him for the second half of the year. Again, throughout the year, if I get to a point where I feel like I can make that push and he comes at the, at the all-star break and he's going to help that push. And again, forty-five bucks for him next year. I would probably pay that, especially seeing you know everyone going for sixty-plus this year. He's a fifteen-dollar deal. And then um, Springer, I I thought was just a a decent guy to have for thirty bucks. And so very quickly, I think I started with sixty-four dollars. Very quickly, I added like one hundred and sixty-eight bucks between Bregman, Springer, Castillo, and then Corbin Carroll. And so it, it got to be a situation where all right. Now everyone's going to be the cheap guys. I got to really focus on this and figure it out. And so that's when it gets fun for me. Um, finding those kind of like sub $5 guys, picking them out, seeing what I can get. And uh, um, it was just, you know, taking it as we go there. The the one that I, I was kind of not super stoked on was first base with Seth Brown, but apparently Jimmy likes him. He's already trying to get him from me. So i got some power there. And uh, I think he could get me some homers and give me some stolen bases and kind of, fill out some some stat cat or some stats there in general as far as the counting stat uh, categories go um, and then on the pitching end um, like I we talked about I didn't want any closers and I I, I really wanted to go heavy on just trustworthy starters that can get me like solid innings um, they don't have to go you know 180 200 innings but if they can give me 140 just really good innings then if I have enough of those guys, like we always talk about, if I have two guys that are going to give me 140 good innings, then I've got 280 really good innings and I spent $2 on them, you know? So there's mm-hmm. just um, the the combining of assets kind of thing. And if I, like I said, if I can win wins strikeouts and have great ratios that are competitive every week, and that's five categories, and then my offense can pick up some stuff, then that gives me the other two I need to get to seven. And that's my goal is to get those seven. And so um, with all of those starters in there, um, I feel pretty good about what I got and Castillo I really wanted because of uh, I feel like his innings floor is going to be pretty strong um, him with uh, Sandy I think will give me a good 360 400 innings plus um, and good innings too I, I think with Castillo going to the Mariners um, he definitely dialed it in a little bit but really it's a mental game and I think being on a team that really is is fun and wanting to win and doing what they can to really compete is a huge mental change for him being on the reds for all those years and whether they want to admit it or not, these guys, they, they pick it up, you know, <laughs> they know they're on a winning team and they're going to win. Then they're going to try harder. They're going to throw a little deeper and dig a little deeper into their bucket of, of tricks. So I, I like him this year with that roster. Um, I think it's going to be a good year for him. So having like him and Sandy and Glasnow as like my three big guys, and then whoever else I fill it out with, I don't even remember Giolito. I think Giolito for 10 bucks is potentially going to be one of the steals of the draft. Um, there's just a lot to like with uh, with what I did on the pitching side.
0: Yeah, a lot, lot to unpack there. I, I agree with a lot of what you said, kind of working backwards. Uh, Giolito is going to come up later in a positive light. Uh, Castillo, it, not just being on a good team, but he went from the second worst part to pitch in to the best part to pitch in, which you know, being able to throw your pitches with confidence, being able to throw a strike three and one because you're not worried about a little league, you know, ticky tack home run. Like, I mean, I agree that it's just, and I think he's still pitching for, do they extend him or is he still, they did. I think they gave him a deal, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, so not necessarily pitching for the big money contract, but he has, you're right, all sorts of motivation and reasons to be, to be confident. And I've always liked Steele. as a really good pitcher. who got screwed by a, a bad park and a bad defense. Um, But kind of going back to one of your early points just around the stars and scrubs and how, like, hey, worst case scenario, if it doesn't go well, you've got a lot of really marketable items. I think that's definitely one of the benefits of going that route. Like, if you have elite players to sell and a bunch of cheap contracts that could work out for you, if it doesn't work out, that's a great position to be in to rebuild for next year, right? Because you know you're going to get the kind of whatever you want from those top guys and you're going to have some cheap guys like it's it's the, kind of the worst place to be is in the middle and and so that kind of polarized approach can work really well for the year and if it doesn't it can really set you up for the for the final or for the next year um, for me it was it was no secret i didn't have a lot of money to spend so so my intent was really to kind of spread it around and my top target in terms of dollars budgeted was bryce harper like he was someone who I budged. I budgeted thirty five for him, and I was like, I feel like I might be able to get him. Like, who you know, I don't know how many people are willing to go forty plus for a guy who's going to miss <laughs> half the year. But we had the same mindset, right? Like, I just I, I loved him as a long term stash to get him, basically, you know, quote unquote for free at you know at, for a back half run, have him on a keeper friendly contract. All the same things you said was was what was. Um, you know, driving his value in my mind, but it just pushed beyond a price that I could afford. It's not that it's a price I wouldn't have paid in a vacuum. I think with 45, 47, whatever, like I still would have been fine with that. I just knew that, you know, my my purse strings had to be kind of tight, just didn't have the luxury to pay up for him. But I I was completely on that same wagon that you're on with him. My plan on the pitching side was to spend $1 for all of my pitching spots. Uh, I wasn't going to play in the closers market. (laughs) <laughs> and I was feeling I was feeling really confident about Carlos Rodon, Shane McClanahan and Max Fried to anchor that rotation but then with that uncertainty around Rodon now and his injury, which knock on wood doesn't seem to be too bad, but I don't know. Um, and we talked on a previous pod about McClanahan having some injury history. So with that, I kind of made an on-the-fly decision to shift some of those Harper dollars I didn't spend over to the pitching staff, which landed me Lance Lynn and Drew Rasmussen. I feel good about the added depth uh, and generally just kind of, you know, tried to pick my spots and, and find – I wouldn't say just waiting for value. Like I definitely had some targets, but as with every year, there's three or four guys who I didn't really have on my radar because I thought my money was going to go elsewhere. Or I thought they were going to go for more money. Like a Jorge Polanco uh, was mm-hmm. someone who like, I didn't really see. I thought I was going to either go for a bigger second baseman or a dirt cheap one and just found I had a few bucks. And so I'm going for seven or eight and like, all right, like yeah. this guy doesn't do anything great, but he might hit third and he, doesn't do anything poorly, like, okay, boom, I'll take that. So it was just kind of trying to find those pockets. And then there were a couple guys uh, who were definitely targets of mine. Tyler O'Neill, like I talked about him, I you know, in the group. And, <laughs> I, I, and it was, and, and I was being completely honest when I was talking about how much I like him, but I kind of figured some people, I'm like, oh, like Jimmy came up afterwards. He's like, I thought you were just bullshitting when you were posting about him. I like, no, I like him. Uh, and and there's some others, you know, uh, one of which I'll get to in a bit, who I definitely was targeting. You know, most of the guys I got were people who just kind of by way of projecting what guys would go for and kind of, you know, picking two or three guys at each position around the same, uh, Projected auction price. You know, I kind of, I, I usually have an idea of, you know, eighty percent of the guys I'm going to come away with, and then the like I said, the other twenty percent or so are just guys where it's like, all right, like here's like a Rizzo, like a Jorge yeah. Blanco. I'm like, I'm just not going to let him go buy for this. So, um, but all in all, you know, do feel feel pretty good. I look at my team and I'm not like, ah, oh, that's the championship, but I've said that a million times. Like you don't, you don't win it here. You you can lose it. You can, <laughs> you can, you can put yourself yeah. really behind the eight ball with a bad auction, but I don't look at that team as it's assembled today and go, oh, that's a championship team. Like there's, there's always some work to do, but, but not unhappy with the foundation. Who was your favorite overall buy that you made? You had to pick just one. Uh, if I had to pick one,
1: it's going to be Giolito. Um, I I just really think that he just had one year. Like I was looking at it and today while well, I was kind of going through this and like 2019 to 2021, the guy was doing fantastic. He was really, you know, a top 30, top 20 pitcher. And then he had one bad year last year. And then someone, suddenly everyone kind of just fell off on him. And he was throwing a little, uh, he wasn't throwing as hard. He was getting a lot of bad luck and like his fifth and stuff was, a lot lower than his era showed i think it was like four nine or something um but you know as spring goes they're talking a lot about him uh fixing things and he's throwing a little harder again uh but even still i i think ten dollars was a good price even if he does what he did last year it wasn't good but he still put up a lot of stuff that's favorable and you know a little good luck can go his way and make it easily worth ten dollars um but i i just feel like he people overlooked him because of that year and for ten dollars i think he's going to end up you know thirty dollar player um so I, I was pretty stoked about him
0: we talked about him on the on the recap pod with ferd and how about like hey let's be realistic that he did take a step back last year from a skills perspective but he was nowhere near as bad as the surface level stats and so even right there back in september whenever that was that it was the narrative kind of is like, ah, oh, there's going to be a buying opportunity here. And yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said, and I'm going to save my, my further commentary as to not spoil um, a, a later part of our kind of main event segment, but his name's going to come up again. Uh, and and we'll, we'll cover that then. Uh, my favorite buy, uh, I, I, some of you who, if, I know a couple of you follow me on Twitter. You might've saw a little thread I posted on this guy last <laughs> night, but yep. I am all in on Taylor Ward this year. I really am. Like he was probably, as I said, I had the most money, you know, allocated to Harper, but Taylor Ward was the guy I was absolutely going to get this year. Um, And, and I, part of it knowing that, like, I didn't think he would go for that much. And so the reasoning behind that for the folks who who don't follow me on Twitter, which is most of you, uh, he was unbelievably good last year for about five weeks. And then he crashed into the wall in a meaningless play in the ninth inning he got a stinger in his shoulder. He didn't miss a lot of time, about a week. But he was not right for several months. And, and shoulder injuries tend to completely sap a hitter's power. It showed. There was an interview with him in late July where the Angels analytics department said that since the injury, his bat speed was down four miles per hour. So it wasn't just a guy blaming an injury. like He was playing unhealthy. And then in September, he kind of started to get his strength back, got back to himself, and he smashed again. And if you take those bookends when he was healthy, those first 30 games and the last 30 games, his line prorates out to three fifty-seven average, almost 1,100 OPS, 37 homers, 112 runs, 100 RBIs. (laughs) And seven stolen bases, right? And he probably didn't run as much, you know, that as much as he could have because you usually are sliding head first. You're not going to do that with an injured shoulder. So now, of course, that's not my projection for him because his Babbit in that sample was about 400, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not that good. There's no way. Uh, but even playing injured June through August, you pull up his StatCast page and his numbers jump off the page. Like they're just blood red. And that's playing half the season hurt. Like, what does that page look like if he actually was? You know, uh, healthy the whole time. So, yeah. And then you drop him in the leadoff spot because he's definitely a good OBP guy, way better than anyone else they have on the roster outside of like an Otani and a Trout who are going to hit two, three, four in that range. And I just think he's in for a really, really big year. Uh, and, and it's been kind of a long time coming. He was a first round pick. He was drafted as kind of a defense first catcher. So I'm not saying like it was always this incredible bat pedigree but like there's been you can find stories going back years of him working with a specific uh hitting coach who was from the astros organization and like he has been putting in the work to get better and better Mm -hmm. and then like watching his at bats the first month of last year it's like you watched his at bats and it you had the same confidence as if mike trout was up there just like these guys can't get him out like he's taking the closest pitches that are just barely off the plate laying off hard sliders and then just bashing the ball to like, you know, hitting the ball out of right center field. It was just really impressive. Like, so uh, again, not to say that that pro line is who he is, not to say he is Mike Trout, but I just feel like he he's like his floor this year is the $16 I paid and his ceiling is a 30 or $40 player. If he really just kind of puts it all together again.
1: Yeah. Well, so, I, I don't wish you luck with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <say that. okay. laughs> Well, so now the other end of the spectrum, though, is there any player you regret buying or something that you just could have done differently now that you have the benefit of hindsight?
1: Um, Let's see. I wrote out a long thing here. I'm trying to scan it real quick. But the thing that it wasn't really uh, something I regret, but it was more just kind of like the stiffy and the things that happen. And um, there was this moment where Demand called out or he was at least bidding on Lewis Arias. And um, I had my (laughs) eye on Lewis Arias. And so he was bidding on, it. like, I, I was immediately, like, I looked at him with these devil eyes, like, God, it's way too early for you to call this guy out. I was going max two bucks on him. And I I just didn't want to spend it at that point. I was had my eyes on someone else. I wanted to put $2 on, but uh, <laughs> the man called him and then he got the $4. And then luckily somebody else called out like, wait a minute, who are you talking about here? Is this, is this areas or areas? And I was like, Oh, thank you. Whoever that was. And uh, he he clarified. It was the guy whose last name starts with a Z, I think he's on the Marlins. And um, it's not like he's a bad guy by any means, but it just, it, it, it kind of gave me a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, great. Like he's back on, on, on the dial here. And I think what happened like in that moment where he called him and he went out of my budget of $2, I crossed him off my list. And uh, it was, you know, five <laughs> seconds later that the clarification happened and I didn't go back and fix it. And so like... Thirty minutes later, Demand again goes Louis Urias, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what? This guy's not even available anymore. How? What are you doing?" And, and I told you, I was like, "Oh my god, you stupid, stupid idiot!" And uh, by that point, I only had a dollar. I couldn't even bid on him. And uh, you know, he, he wasn't a huge buy, but it was just one guy in that second base department I talked about, where like there was a good five guys in a chunk that I thought were in between like a dollar and four dollars. Like Kettle Marte, I think, is a good buy for whoever got him. Uh, Lewis Arias and there was a couple other ones that were in that range of just like yeah like I I would be okay having one of these guys and so I totally just failed on it and I I don't even remember I think it was Bryson Stodd who filled the role but like it was just 100% the stiff he got me and I that's you know the disappointment I had leaving the draft.
0: (laughs) I, I had forgotten about that until you brought it up, but now I recall the whole Luis Uri- Arias versus Urias. Yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, uh, Step Brothers. I, I think I can help with that whole pan-panned uh, scenario. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I remember. And it took us a minute to sort that out because he kept saying like, Arias, I'm like, just say Urias. Like, let's just change it. Like, I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but let's just uh, yeah. sh- shades of divine Diaz moment there. Big time, uh, big time, but I do recall, I got him for a buck. You can go after him. Yeah.
1: Um, and then the yeah, other I, thing, just to mention, yeah, so, was, um, I, I did, you know, I, I, every year it seems I spend less and less time on this. And I didn't have a long enough list of dollar players. And, you know, I, uh, for many years, always tried to be at the end of the draft. And, you know, um, the last guy to pick up the player gets exactly who they want. And this stems from my mom, like, 25 years ago telling me, When you take a test, be the last person to finish because you you get this time. Why not use it? Double check your work, make sure that everything's okay. Like, don't be the flashy guy who runs it, like, I'm done. Like, take your time, use it all. And so, with the draft, I feel the same of like, get to the end. I've got three positions open, I've got $3. I might not get exactly who I want, but I'm going to pick everybody and they're going to be on my team right now. And so, whoever I pick, like, they're mine. I have no competition with it. And you know, like, I didn't have that many guys this year, and then you've got guys like Eli just yelling about what's taking so long. It's like you're not even in the draft. We're not doing a supplemental pick here. You're just razzing me right now, and like you know, the stiffy gets you. You get a little flustered. You go down your list, <laughs> you scramble, it, and I still like what I got, but uh, I'm sure I could have did something better.
0: I know. I feel like I try to prepare. You know a deep enough list of guys but you it gets so thin at the end and then sometimes you start even second guessing like you know the, the list you come with like ah, i kind of really want this guy for a dollar even though i've got him 10 spots below that guy um, <laughs> so it, yeah it can it can frazzle you a bit uh at the end for sure uh, i would say the regret i have something i would do differently i mentioned my third base situation is is shaky's pizza right now and, and with the benefit of hindsight, I actually would have done exactly what Decker did with two of his purchases. Now he didn't need a third baseman; he had Austin Riley there, but he bought both Anthony Rendon and Kip Brian Hayes for a total of ten dollars, which is basically what I spent on Anthony Rizzo in my corner infield spot. And I, I like Rizzo both the you know, more than both of those guys, but. Looking at you know how my third base landscape looks like now. If I could do it over again, I'd probably throw back Rizzo and one of my end game buys like Estudio Ruiz or someone, and buy both Rendon and Hayes. And here's why: both of those guys are solid buy lows in my eyes, albeit for different reasons. You know, Rendon's success contingent upon health, obviously. Uh, Kate, uh, Brian Hayes' success contingent upon him increasing his launch uh, launch angle to find more power. I don't know if either of those will come to fruition, but if I had both of those guys right now, I would feel pretty confident that one of them would step up and be a solid third baseman for me, as opposed to the, the Brendan Donovan, uh, Isaac Paredes duo that I have right now. So, you know, uh, knowing what I know now um, if I could have got both of those guys for similar prices, um, I would feel pretty good that I that I would have a third baseman somewhere on my (laughs) roster.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I kind of feel the same about um, both of them. Decker's guys, uh, I think Cabrian might even be on my list later, and we'll talk about him. And Rendon is oh like, he went from just such a guy that was uh, consistent as can be, and now he's just consistent in terms of injury. And if he can just fix
0: that, he, he'll be solid. Man, if Cabrian Hayes pops up in the same segment for both of us, if Decker listens to this podcast, he's just going to be jo uh in, in the, the fast track lane on the 91 on Monday. Uh, as this pod it. comes out, <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling we're going down the same the same path there. But that does take yeah. us actually into kind of the what I think is going to be the highlight of, of this conversation. I always appreciate you know just getting to chop it up as as far as individual strategy and all that we've we've done on the first part of this pod. But now we're going to kind of jump into I think some pieces that are going to touch touch everyone here. Um, and, and for the listeners here, basically what we're doing is a form of bold predictions. Uh, called this year's blank right and here's how it works so we've got a list of players who took everyone by surprise last year and considerably outperformed their expectations and so in this segment we're going to make predictions on who will be that guy this year based on the criteria for each of these uh, names listed that i i laid out for you before the pod and so we'll lead off with who is this year's sandy alcantara And that is a $10 or less starting pitcher that could legitimately win the Cy Young Award.
1: Um, So I will say, first and foremost, how dare you say that I wasn't able to predict that Sandy Alcantara would do that. You know, how rude.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, so the point is, whoever, whoever got this year, Sandy Alcantara, can dunk on us saying how he was the smartest guy in the room this year.
1: Well, I think it's going to be me again. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, as I was looking at it, I don't really think anyone can reach the level of Cy Young, but I do think of the guys that are $10 or less. Um, I went with Giulio here. Um, there's guys that could really surprise us, which is the whole point here. Um, but I think if like I'm putting money on something, I think it would be him to be finishing the highest ranked of $10 pitchers. I, I, I know I talked about it and it's sounds like you're going to talk about it a little bit more, but, um, if he just gets back to that 2019, 2021 level, even a little bit. Um, watch out because he's going to be dicing some guys up. He's only 28 che- years old still.
0: 28? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I know. He feels like he's been in the league a long time. And yeah, uh, but I guess, you know, he did come up pretty young. Uh, I'm going to cheat right off the bat and give you two names. One AL, one NL, because I uh, agree on the AL one. I think uh, Lucas Giolito, who you drafted for $10 is – fits this bill, right? He took a step backwards last year that we discussed. His regression correlates quite strongly with his velocity. Um someone on Twitter posted that when Giolito is sitting 91 to 92, his ERA is about 5. When he's sitting 94 to 95, his ERA is 3 in that range, right? It's really that simple. Like if his velocity comes back, he is entirely capable of winning the Cy Young Award. If he doesn't, he'll struggle, right? And, and, and if he's in the middle there, that 93, then he's, you know, he's probably a three eight guy and someone very good, not not at the Cy Young caliber. But if the velocity comes back, and we don't know if, if it's gone forever or if that was just a blip year for him in the negative, uh, but if it comes back, I, I completely agree that he is entirely capable of winning the Cy Young um, on the NL side. My N L pick. Hold oh, on. go ahead. Let me
1: throw mine out here because I didn't really
0: plan to throw out two,
1: but I I did get an N L one. Now that I'm looking at it, and okay. I'm just curious if we go the same direction here, but I picked Andrew Heaney. He's not even in the N L anymore. What am no, I talking about? No,
0: he's a Texas Ranger. But I like you know, the I... Heaney buy. I do like the Heaney buy. I I yeah. will say that I don't forget who got him. Only for like three or four dollars, it was at the <laughs> time where it was at Probably the time paying. where I. Uh, yeah, I, I forget <laughs> who got him, but I, I credit that by as someone who, like, he's one of those guys that he always has the homer problems and, and the ball's getting a little more dead now. But even if yeah. they persist and he's a three seven five guy, like, his strikeouts are there, his wh- whips low, his Kato walks good. Like, I was definitely in on Haney this year. I just wasn't in on many pitchers. And, yeah. You know, got a couple of the guys instead. His so problem credit- is he doesn't
1: go long. He 130 innings pitch was his max he's done since 2018. So, uh, right. He's probably a dark horse in that. But, uh, okay. I messed up. I, I wrote Dodgers, and I saw his name. And well, parts. so a segue, so into,
0: segue into another very talented pitcher who, uh, speaking of the Dodgers, and speaking of someone who I would not actually bet on winning the Cy Young because he's not going to have the innings like Haney, but $6 uh, for Dustin May uh, for yeah. Decker, I thought was, I mean, like, like I said, full stop, not betting on him to actually win the Cy Young. So I guess that disqualifies him from this conversation. He only threw 30 innings last year in return from Tommy John, so he's not going to throw enough innings to actually haul in the award but pre-injury he looked like an ace um that you know or at least an ace in the making and there's not many teams out there that, that get the most out of their talent like the Dodgers so Dustin May at 6 bucks great a great buy and maybe not someone who who will actually be in contention for the award this year but could easily be a keeper and and you know get rack up a lot of votes in, uh next year so a good yeah. buy there but moving on to who is this year's Paul Goldschmidt, this is a post-prime guy who could spike an MVP season.
1: So this was hard. Um, The reason it was hard is because I didn't really see a lot of guys that were, like, post-prime. Like, the the dudes that come to mind for me right now are, you know, Goldschmidt, he's 35 years old, McCutcheon, he's an old dude. Like, there wasn't a lot of guys who fit the mold of, like, I'm old. Like, I, I think Trout is a guy that, you know, kind of his post prime. Cause he's 30, 31 uh, Machado, same deal. Like these guys are, they, they've been consistently good. So I, I don't know if I can call him post prime or not. So it was really weird to try to look at this. So um, the one guy, if I really dug deep was Jose Abreu um, he's in a new park and a new lineup. And just like I was talking about with Castillo before uh, be, being on the Mariners now um, going from the white Sox, who've been kind of meddling around for the last few years, to go to the Astros with the the, the short board and like or the Crawford boxes with the short porch um, and having the mentality of like heck yeah I'm on a first place team let's go, he could go bonkers
0: this year. It's a good pick, yeah. I was Hombre is not someone I really targeted this year because I didn't plan on spending a lot of money uh, at first base, but you're right. I mean if he starts just yanking the ball abuses the Crawford boxes like. 30 35 and then just by way of that lineup you know 115 rbis 120 like you know it all has to break right for him but um completely capable of spiking a season like goldschmidt just did my pick here is uh Jean- stanton who ken got for <laughs> low 20s i think it was he's 33 now he's coming off a bad season health is always a concern for him but in the statcast era, which began in 2015, there's been 17 balls that have been hit 120 miles per hour or harder. Stanton has 14 of them, and nobody else has more than one. Uh, <laughs> last year last year, he had the second hardest hit ball in the majors, even though he was, you know decrepit relative yeah. to his former self. So the guy still smashes the baseball, they can try to hide him at DH if they need to to keep him healthy, which I think is their plan. And if he can deliver a healthy season, I just don't think there's any reason he can't hit 40 plus bombs again. It was only a few years back, maybe maybe four or five, uh, that he hit 59. Right, like yeah. he could definitely spike a really big year. Uh, can't you know? It's hard to keep him on the field, but if he can stay healthy, like I said, they can hide him at DH. Uh, he, he's capable of doing really really big things there.
1: Yeah, I, he was the guy that uh, perked my attention while doing this. And uh, it just came down to, I don't think he's going to do it. So that's why I didn't pick him. But,
0: yeah,
1: he's got um, a shot. He's got like a I shot.
0: said, there's very much a bold prediction uh, under, <laughs> undertone to these. Otherwise, these guys would all have gone for a lot more money. And um, yep. they, would, they wouldn't be under the radar. So, But speaking of Yankees, the next category here is, who is this year's Nestor Cortez? That is a supplemental pick turned keeper there's one every year you go back every year there's at least one guy who is a sup pick that turns into a keeper who did you choose for this category so this one was was again these are all really
1: hard a lot harder than i i I should say i spent a lot more time on this than i thought i was going to when you originally sent it over um but uh, sorry to keep chugging on myself here so deep and hard (laughs) but um i really liked my last pick ray uh lopez um the guy was really good last year. And uh, again, like I think he did some drive line stuff over the off season. He's picked up a, a, some miles per hour on his fastball, even from what he did last year. And so um, I think he's going to run away with that White Sox closer role real quick and take it from Graveman, who I think is penned as the guy for now. Um, and then I think who knows what happens with Hendricks. He could come back. He, he might not come back. Who knows? But um, I looked it up. They're both on the last year of their contract right now. And Reynaldo is going to be the cheaper guy, you know, if they can extend him at the deadline and keep him for three years to help them kind of rebuild, they can do that. They could trade him away if they wanted to, but I think he's too valuable. And with Hendricks, if he comes back and he does well, that's a big trade money target for them right now. And so I think he's going to be dished off the white Sox, and Reynaldo's going to take it. And for a $5 closer, that's top 10 in this league. That's a $15 value
0: yeah if he if he if he takes the role as you as you anticipate he may oh yeah oh, to yeah. your point to your point five dollars we, we've seen <laughs> what the closer market looks like I mean if he can fortify himself then that would absolutely be a keeper um I went with um, another New York lefty but on the other side of town David Peterson and that might get some chuckles because I drafted Peterson the supplemental and I traded him almost immediately to Jimmy uh, for Alex Wood uh, seeking a little bit more uh stability uh but i think at ten dollars peterson could end up a keeper the reasons i i did move him one i don't know for sure he's gonna win the last spot in the rotation it's down to him and tyler mcgill right now but i think mm. peterson kind of has the inside lane because mcgill was kind of that swing man last year so yeah. i think it just kind of makes sense and two david peterson reminds me of patrick corbin and you can take all the good and all the bad (laughs) with that comparison right so peterson's a big lefty he throws hard really nice slider he strikes out over 10 hitters per nine he also walks four batters per nine if he can curb the walks a little bit he'll be quite good if he can get them under three he's like a frontline starter and and a really good keeper at 10 bucks so i I liked the selection of him you know in the draft but I like I said I was just looking for something a little more certain um and and I like you know I think Wood will give me that but uh the upside between the two and a potential keeper uh status between the two is not even close I think it's definitely Peterson any other supplemental picks that you liked uh yeah a couple
1: and again Sorry to keep going back to my team, but uh, South Lugo, I am really uh, interested to see what he does. Um, maybe not just as a good pick, but as a as a fun pick because it's the first time he's really, I think, going to get a shot at starting. Which he's been like he's been begging the Mets to let him start. I feel like for a couple years now, and he's open about that, but they just keep putting him in the back end. Um, he's got some good pitches to throw, and if San Diego gives him a shot here, which it sounds like they are um he could have some you know good 130 150 innings and good ratios he might blow up now and then but i I like that one a lot for seven bucks and uh potentially another keeper guy and then George schuster of the braves um that guy seems to be dominating right now i think Keith picked him up and uh he sounds like going to take the uh the fifth role there and he's just got like i saw a video today he's got a pretty nasty looking slider he's got some other stuff going on those Braves, they just keep turning them, man. It's it's just <laughs> one generation after another over there where they just find guys and and turn out dudes who just rake. It's it's awesome
0: to watch. Isn't that funny? Like we've talked about that, like in for some players. It's like just let the smart organizations do it for you, right? Like if you kinda like someone, you know, uh if you kinda like an Indians pitcher, take them. The Indians are good at developing pitchers, right? If you kinda like if the Rays like someone, you should probably like them, right? Like the, if yeah. the Dodgers Who's, like
1: like who was that coaching pitch for the pirates years ago that was like fixing everybody? Oh, god, he was he was actually kind of famous for it. Um
0: uh, I know exactly who you're talking uh, he's about.
1: Super old dude, but like he turned around Liriano, like he did all these things with all these people. Ray Sirius. Played. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, I was like for a couple of years legitimately, legitimately like, okay, Pirates pitcher. Um, yeah. Give him a shot. Why not? You know, <laughs> like this pitching coach just seems to be telling them what to do and they listen. And uh, it, it's just one of those things. And uh, you're right.
0: Yeah. I think the, the, a couple of the picks I liked in the stuff the, uh, all on the pitching side, I, I like the shot that Ferd took on, on Jose Barrios to be mm-hmm. honest, I really didn't deep dive into his profile to see what happened to him the last year or so. Just someone I'd happily roster this year on a faith-based bounce back. Um, I like checks pick of of Luis Ortiz, the starter for the Pirates, uh, okay. in, the fifth, in the fifth round, which gives him a $7 price tag. I don't think he's guaranteed to break camp in the big leagues and I don't know how long you'd want to, like, I don't think you'd want to sit on him for half a season per se, but uh, I watched him pitch at the end of last year because you picked him up against me uh, in our Mm -hmm. matchup in the playoffs. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy, dude? Like he was nasty. (laughs) He's got really, really good stuff. And so, I mean, if he gets a shot, just, you know, those electric high upside arms, why not give him a chance? And then uh, another one is, just a classic Eels pick. Aaron Savali, I thought, was a pretty prudent selection in the, mm-hmm. in the third or fourth round. Someone I was going to take two or three picks later. Just a sturdy innings eater with nice ratios, yep. especially to Walk. Just Eels thumbprint all over that one. And I thought <laughs> that was a good pick there, too. Yeah. All right, we're moving on to who is this year's Christian Javier. That is a $1 pitcher turned ace. Not a lot of guys. Oh, right. There's only about nine or ten guys drafted this year at that exact price point. Uh, but who did you like?
1: Um, so I'm going to give a quick honorable mention. Uh, I loved your Iovaldi pick for a buck. Um, I, I like him. I, I think if he can get back to throwing like 98, 99 consistently like he was a couple of years ago, um, really good buy. Um, but the other guy that I like even better is my boy Hunter Brown here. Um, I did not expect him to get him. I did not expect him to get him for a dollar. I thought demand and maybe not with, you, the, yeah. for, not with the, thank, of you the for, room. thank you for sending him to Jupiter for me because <laughs> that, <laughs> that might have been the reason why I was able to get him. And like I thought Jimmy was gonna be on him too, but you know, Jimmy was just a scatterbrain. So it was uh, it was actually kind of funny watching Jimmy try to go through his list and like he had highlighter, he had pen, and like I think at one point he started to highlight people that were picked but he meant to cross them out and so he got a little confused <laughs> um but uh, but yeah i think uh, i think hunter is going to be super strong and um even when mccullers comes back in a month or two whatever it's going to be i think he keeps going into the, the rotation and either mccullers comes in and your goes out or one of the two i think he's going to stay um he's not going to go back down and talking about stars and scrubs like this is a guy who I think is going to be good for me this year, but also if I really need to, um, he's a keeper or he's a trade target for somebody. And I, I just I really like that pick.
0: Yeah, Brown Brown makes my honorable mention list. Quite a bit of upside out there in Houston. The walks a touch concerning, but young guys, you know, they can get that sorted out. But a quick sidebar on Jimmy: um, I I was really nervous. My butthole was puckering a little bit as I was trying to sneak in um uh, a Walker Bueller stash and he Jimmy had more <laughs> money than me and I knew it and I threw him out there like oh, he's gonna take him from me but he was out of pitching spots like he couldn't and I think the man the man might have been too at that point and so that could have been what landed you brown was that he just that not that he forgot about him or anything but he might have just actually okay, okay. Out his roster. that happens every year. Like I talked about yeah. the Haney buy like I love Haney. I just I ran out of spots right that, that happens yeah. so but so Brown gets honorable mention. Another one of your guys gets honorable mention, and Sean Manea, um, who has some newfound velocity, and will pitching in a nice, uh, be pitching in a nice spacious park there in San Francisco. So if I was going to pick a, a burgeoning ace for the long term, I'd probably pick one of those two guys. But for this year only, I'm going to go. Gonna cue the laugh track right here. I'm going to go with a guy Brian drafted for boots for a dollar. Alex Cobb. Um, mm. So Cobb, at 34 last year, found a new 95-mile-an-hour fastball. He struck out a batter per inning. He limits the walks. He spiked a ridiculous 62% ground ball rate. And because of that ground ball rate in that big park, he just doesn't give up homers. He was done in a bit last year by BABIP and and strand rate that kind of inflated the ERA in a season that he actually had a sub-3 XFIP. And he just seems like he's kind of found another gear here with that funky splitter deal he you know he yeah. throws. Um, I just I wouldn't be surprised to see a low to mid threes ERA with solid ratios all around and and plenty of K's uh, to boot, no pun intended. Yeah. So um, again, not a long term guy just by way of age. Uh, so not exactly sure. a Javier in that sense, but someone who I could another guy who I was like I, I would love to get caught this year cheap and just you know kind of ran out of spots or ended yep. up putting the money elsewhere. Yeah, he, um, he was on my dollar list for sure. I, I'm right there with you. So changing gears, similar category, one dollar hitter stud. Who is this year's Jeremy Pena? Um, so
1: the the big there's a couple I got, but uh, the big one, um, I, I think Meadows. Uh, I really like that pick for a dollar to Eli. I believe um, he's still really young. Like just like a lot of these guys, they've just been around for a long time. They had you know one or two bad years. I think him specifically, COVID really got him bad. Um, he had long COVID and just had like breathing issues. And then um, I think there was also a lot of mental stuff going on where he, at one point finally told everyone like, yeah, I haven't seen a therapist because I just have problems. And it's part of the game where like, you know, when you're supposed to fail or for like failing, what is it? Failing three out of four times is considered good. And like, that's tough to swallow sometimes, but uh, yeah. um, I think he could be, uh, he could be, you know, the Mike Trout Jr. that everyone, or I should say you always talked about, but yeah, um, I, I like that by a lot. And then the other uh, two main moder- honorable mentions here were the Reds outfielders, uh, TJ Friedel and then Fraley. Um, I think Fraley was another guy demand stole for me, but I had them both on my list hoping to get him for a buck just to fill out like the uh, 250 average, 7, 750 offs, but then, you know, 70, 70, 10, 10, 10, 15, 15 kind of guys that were just very serviceable. And I feel like they were under the radar because of the Reds.
0: solid pick in Meadows who just kind of seems to have fallen off most people's radar. And, and Detroit has kind of recalibrated their, their, their fences and it should benefit right, uh, left-handed hitters more than right-handed hitters. So that helps because that's not a a great park to hit or as at least it hasn't been. And it should get a little least neutral now. Um, And, and you touched on another player, right? So Jake Fraley who demand got for a dollar Basically, over the, over the last three or so years, he has what the equivalent of one season under his belt. And in that season, we'll call it, 21 homers, 16 steals, 13% walk rate, and now he's hitting in one of the best hitters' parks in baseball, right? And he hasn't handled lefties very well so far, albeit only about 100 at-bats. Projections figure him to be a strong side platoon player, but even if he doesn't get to play every day, if you get 450 plate appearances of him just smashing righties... That's a nice foundation for a Frankenstein yeah. player in Demand's lineup, right? So if Fraley gives them 18 homers, 55 runs in RBI, 10 steals with a 250 average and a 770 OPS over 450 plate appearances, and then Demand plugs in, you know, Kike Hernandez, his last supplemental pick <laughs> for the for the other 150 – Right, that's a full season of 23, 70, 75, you know, runs in RBI, you know, 23 yeah. bombs, 10 steals, 250 with a 750 OPS. I mean, that's like Dansby Swanson or Glaybar Torres, right? At the cost of a dollar and a supplemental pick, right? Like, yep. that's that's a nice ROI there. And then, of course, there's always a chance that Fraley takes another step forward and becomes an everyday player and, and holds his own against lefties, in which case he could be a 2020 guy and a really solid keeper only 28 years old and and just a good example of, of how in a daily lineup league that we play in you can't do it for every position because you don't have enough roster spots but if you can have those kind of frankenstein type players a guy who does match righties and back them up with a with a bench bat for the other 150 200 plate appearances that combined line could be a really good player um for for really yep. cheap so yeah i like the fraley pick as well there and so we've got a few more uh, in this uh, segment here, but I think this one's probably kind of the main event in a sense. Who is this year's Julio Rodriguez? That's a $10 mm. or less hitter who becomes a first-round talent next year and thus an elite keeper option.
1: Yeah, that this was like um, – the sentence I wrote earlier was, it feels like this could be the worst podcast ever because I don't have any confident answers on any of these questions. But uh, uh, for this one specifically, the guy that came out to me um, was Kelenic. Um I, I I don't know if you know first round is his ceiling truly, but he really started to come together the last three or four weeks last year and was really hitting the ball hard. He wasn't having success with it, but like. He was squaring that thing up and he was really hitting hard. A couple of the homers he did hit were like, those are no doubters. He smashed that ball. Spring training comes around. He's doing it all over again. He is killing the ball right now. Um, He's hitting for average. He's hitting bombs. He's even swiping a couple bases. He's doing a lot. And if he really becomes what everyone hoped he was, that just makes the Mariners so much better. And unfortunately that makes Keith a lot better because he was the one who bought him. But I, uh, I think he's, Potentially that guy. And then a honorable mention here is uh, Yoshida. Um, just because he's unknown. I don't know what he's going to do, but if he is uh, worth paying what they paid for him to bring him overseas and import him here, um, he could be a really good player.
0: Jared Kalanick, five bucks for Keith. Definitely is one of my favorite post-hype sleepers with someone who I was, <laughs> was going to want to pay around that price for him. Uh, I was one of the original uh, Jared Kellnick stands, but I soured on him, you know, over the last couple of years. The struggles were pretty bad, but you're right. He's having a monster spring. Last I checked, hitting like 450 with four bombs and a couple steals. And anytime a prospect with his pedigree does that, spring training or not, it's worthy of attention. And so yeah. I think that, yeah, there's a lot of upside there. Uh, Yoshida. So um, we all gave Ken some shit, right? Because he threw him out for ten bucks, got crickets. It was kind of the the Kyle Schwarber mm, twenty bucks, you know, of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? uh, <laughs> but even though I, even though we all kind of roused him for it, I sent him a, a screenshot uh, the next day of, of my uh, AL MVP bet on the Yoshida at 15 to one, as I think he is going to be a pretty good player too. And it's hard to project these guys coming over. You just don't know how they're going to adjust, but um, you know, they are getting better at translating, you know, some of these, these Asian players who come over and, and his numbers do look quite good. And uh, I think that, that 10 bucks is actually a fine price. I think he's just bitter because he realized he didn't have to go 10 necessarily for him. Um, But uh, my, my pick for this category is a guy I mentioned earlier in the pod as being one change away from being a breakout, and that is Decker's Key Brian Hayes at $4. So his, his, his give me a chance here, right? So his plate skills are about average in terms of strikeouts and walks. Nothing special, but no glaring holes. He swiped 20 bases last year, and I think speed is a requisite for being a first-round talent, unless you're someone like Jordan or, or Mike Trout. The problem for Key Brian Hayes is he's got a career 125 isolated power and he only he only homered seven times in 130 games last year. He just doesn't hit the ball in the air, and he doesn't pull the ball with regularity. And, and pull power is really key to hitting dingers now that this juice ball is gone. But and here's the reason for hope: he hits the shit out of the ball. His hard mm-hmm. hit rate uh, is you know so balls hit 95 miles an hour or harder is in the 84th percentile. His max exit velocity is in the 89th percentile. He hit a ball 113 miles an hour last year, which is harder than Paul Goldschmidt hit a ball. It's harder than Manny Machado, Freddie Freeman, Reese Hoskins, Nolan Arenado, Kyle Tucker. I could go on, right? But these are all 30 home run guys. And Cabrian Hayes hit a ball harder than any of them last year. So he's got to start getting the ball in the air. He's got to start pulling the ball. If he does it, there's a 30-20 ceiling out there, which would make him a fantasy monster. Of course, it's not always that simple. Like If he changes his approach to sell out for power, then maybe his strikeout rate and his batting average all start going the wrong direction. So I wouldn't say the odds of a full breakout are high by any means. But if Key Brian Hayes does break out, I think this will be a case where his potential was staring us right in the face the whole time, and it was just a matter of who was going to actually take a shot on him making that change which is yeah unlikely to come but it's right there it's right there for I, the guy
1: i'm looking at his stack cash profile right now and his hard hit rate or percent like you said is 84 his barrel percent is 13 so you know if you add those two together you get 99 which is pretty darn good but it's
0: <laughs> well
1: I mean, in, the bear- in this world the, it's not
0: yeah the, the barrel percentage is contingent upon the, the optimal launch angle right and that's He's that's just hitting, it. He just hitting the ball in the but, ground everywhere He's just hitting the ball on the ground everywhere. But you know, like this was the conversation with Vladdy a few years ago, right? He was he yep. came in the league, hit the piss out of the ball, hit it all on the ground. It's the but you know the other side of that coin is Yandi Diaz, who hits the piss out of the ball, hits it on the ground. He's 31. It's just never going to happen for him. Yeah. Unlikely, right? That he, Brian Hayes is younger and could actually make that change. Again, I'm not betting on it per se because yeah. I wouldn't have let him go for four dollars. But yep, it wouldn't surprise me. Like it, like it's it's right there for the guy. If he would, if he would make that commitment to to trying to hit for more power there, so yeah, good call. So the other side of this one, going from from what could be an elite keeper option to a keeper that gets dropped. Who is this year's kettle Marte?
1: Um, you know, it's sad, and this is a bit of a cop out because it's already happened. It happened, but Einar, <laughs> he's done for the years, so he's getting Gosh. dropped. So you got to cross him off the list, and I, I did that, and then I was like, all right, I got to pick a second one, um, but uh i i just have no faith in chris bryant um he's 16 bucks and boots held him for that and i don't think he's gonna hit more than 15 home runs i think he's gonna get hurt again i don't think he's gonna play a lot of games he's gonna turn into evan longoria who just like comes up for a couple weeks does really well and then he's gone for two months and you forget about him um the guy just unfortunately has that bug where he's gone um, and then the other guy, real quick, that I could see uh, demand possibly rage quitting on is O'Neill Cruz, and just not even auctioning him, but just flat out dropping him and giving up, and just taking
0: the hit midseason because he just you know doesn't pull together. The, the good on O'Neill Cruz. Remember I mentioned that one person hit a ball harder than John Carlos Stanton last year. Yeah, it was O'Neill. It was, was, was O'Neill Cruz, one hundred and twenty-two. Like he is a specimen, but he strikes out fifty-one, fifty-two percent of the time against lefties. Not enough of a sample size to stabilize, blah, blah, blah. But that could be a problem. So so good point there. Uh, yeah, and just shoving a little. You know, We, we built up Decker and Cabrian Hayes and all and He just shoveled a bunch of dirt onto him with the Einar Diaz reminder. <laughs> like, like he needed that one. Um, yeah, so this one was kind of difficult for me because everyone came in with, with really strong keepers. I'll go with Brandon Lau because he could fall into a platoon with the yeah. Rays, and you just you don't usually look at platoon players as keepers. But I'm, I'm really splitting hairs here because Lau could also easily pop 35 home runs or, in the worst case, be a strong side platoon bat like Jake Fraley, who we discussed, that still has value in a daily lineup league. Uh, the Chris Bryant mention, I guess I'm just giving him a pass because of Coors. I guess I just have Coors blinders on, but you, you know you're not wrong about him not being good lately. He has plantar fasciitis, which is just lingers. Like injury experts will say, like when you see that, just run. It's not going to get better, like ever. Um, So I could see it. I I could definitely see that not going well. Um, But I but I don't I don't hate him as as of this moment. Yeah. All right. Last name in this segment here is who is this year's Jonathan India, and that is someone who had a great rookie year, got paid up and then suffered from a sophomore slump and was kind of a bust, as Jonathan Neal was last year.
1: <laughs> I got two I'll hit on real quick. And um, this the first guy I think is technically a sophomore, but maybe not just because he didn't have enough games played last year. But this is also uh, to, to take away from all my personal chugging, um, I'm going to knock myself down a peg here. And, you know, Corbin Carroll could be that guy where he just – he needs another year and he's going to do well this year, but not as good as $24 I paid for him is. Um, so that's one of them and then the other one here is, is Strider I had Strider I know him I love him he just dominated for the innings he pitched last year but he's very scary he's got two pitches literally two pitches he threw his change up four percent of the time his fastball was like 67 percent of the time and the slider was the remaining 20 something like he just throws fastball and slider and you can really only get away from that for so long before people just sit on that high fastball and they get a hold of it they catch up and he might do good the first time through the rotation but once you get to the third, fourth, fifth inning where people start coming back around
0: again it could get real ugly I do recall you making a comment right after that purchase uh transpired I think the man got him you were like two pitches, good luck, something like that <laughs> So <laughs> I remember you made that call on the spot and, and historic, you're not wrong historically like two pitch starters don't typically have longevity strider just seems to be you know out of this world so i can't say i'm as uh, as cautious as you are but it's a valid point uh the guy i'm going with is also an atlanta brave and i'm not knocking this by because i think he's a great player uh but there is some risk associated with michael harris the second who cut bot for about 40 Good bucks and so
1: i didn't even think so, of that
0: i mean so so first i mean disclaimer that he had a great year last year as a 21-year-old rookie. So he could progress as a hitter, put all this risk to bed quite easily. But he struck out nearly five times more than he walked last year. He was also pretty bad versus lefties. And I don't think he'll end up in a platoon because I don't think the Braves really have another center fielder on the roster. Uh, but he also benefited from a, a three, uh, 360 BABIP last year. I could see him posting like 320, 330 because of you know his speed and his bad at ball profile. But if he regresses to like the 300 range... Uh, he'd still be a 2020 guy, but but maybe not with the batting average and the OPS that people are expecting, which of course would chip into his run and RBI totals as well. So, um, you know, the trajectory should be up for him. But I mean, the market for him was was kind of kind of uh, at the top, right? Because yeah. there, there's some stuff that that uh, the babip and all kind of masqueraded uh, last year for him. Yeah. All right, so that, that concludes kind of the meat and potato segment. we got a couple others to run through. Uh, we'll, we'll work rather expeditiously, but favorite post-hype sleepers, a few names that, that jump out to you. Uh,
1: you know, at this point of the podcast, I feel like Decker's just going to pass out from how many times he's ejaculated while listening to it because I am going to say Brian Hayes as well. <laughs> I know we've already <laughs> talked him out of a bunch, but for four bucks, I think he could be a, a really good buy. Um, even before looking at his stat cast stuff like you mentioned like he he was good and now i feel like he might even be better than i thought um and then the other guy here conforto for a buck i think is pretty solid as a, a guy people kind of wrote off and forgot about and for a dollar he could he could be really really powerful didn't he go for like 20 plus a couple years ago then now he's down to just a buck
0: oh yeah he's definitely got some some mk paychecks in the past yeah I've got a few on the list. Jared Kelnick, I already spoke to. He was on the list here. Uh, $7, Riley Green preferred. So Green was the fifth pick in the draft a few years ago. Didn't do anything to impress last year in his debut, but he's also having a nice spring. Uh, His numbers aren't as gaudy as Kelnick's, but I keep seeing people posting screenshots of his exit velocities in these spring games, and he seems like he's just smashing the ball 100 miles an hour plus with regularity. So so suggests to me he's seeing it well. The projections are nothing special, but projections kind of struggle with guys without a track record, and so a bet on Green is really a bet on him just being the player that the Tigers thought they were getting when they drafted him, and and it doesn't hurt as you know mentioned with with Austin Meadows that that Detroit moved their fences in, so he's in a much better hitting environment. I also really like uh, seven dollar Reed Detmers that Keith grabbed. Uh, I'll call Detmers a post type guy because he was drafted in the MK last year, and outside of that. Kind of fluky no hitter, he he, re- he registered a, a pretty pedestrian season, but he's sitting 95, 96 this spring. He's touched 98, his slider is 91. Like it's just major upticks across the board, just really filthy stuff. He's got like 17 strikeouts and 13 innings and a lot of ground balls. And you know, sample size be damned, like it, it's hard to hit a guy throwing 96 with a 91 mile slider. Yeah. So, a good reason, you know, to think he could take a step forward. Uh, Jonathan India preferred. Uh, To my knowledge, India played hurt last year, which means you can probably throw most of that out. It's just an inaccurate representation of his true talent level. He went 2012 as a rookie the year prior with nearly 100 runs scored and an an OPS north of 800. Uh, If he hits the top of the Reds order, I don't see any reason why why he can't put up uh, another season like he did in 2021. Yeah. Favorite bounce back candidates as we kind of hit the home stretch here.
1: Um, you go first on this one because I had a guy, but we've talked about him enough.
0: (laughs) I'll I'll rip through a few. Will Myers, four dollars for demand, full season. And Cincy could produce a twenty ten season. Max Muncie wasn't healthy last year. Sorted it out at the end of the year. Twelve dollars for Frank. You know, always a really great ops guy and and could have a bounce back. Nine dollar Chris Sale for Eli. He's only thrown Mm forty eight innings since twenty nineteen. Like I knew he had been injury prone, but. I didn't realize it was that extreme, but I just i have no reason at this point to doubt his skills if he can stay on the mound. Uh, yeah, Ferd I think he's been a, throwing well
1: uh, through, yeah, for spring as well.
0: I hadn't seen the spring numbers, uh, but that's, yeah, that's even it's, more reasonable. good for enough
1: for $9, it. that's for sure.
0: Uh, Ferd with a $3 Jesse Winker, really down the year last year, but still had a 108 WRC plus. Now he heads to Milwaukee, much better place to hit than Safeco. He's still only 29. and... Uh, over the course of 2020 and 2021 he had a 145 wrc plus he was a good hitter he's not that far from being really good and then one that i'm not confident in but one dollar cody bellinger for nick uh, you yeah. know bellinger just seems completely broken but the fact that the dodgers couldn't fix him like that's a red flag but one dollar for a 27 year old former mvp is i mean that's a bet you got to make so yeah i don't mind that one anyone um, you want to add there yeah,
1: um, I just had him and I, I lost him, so I might not be able to get back to it. But um, okay. the, the guys I had here was, was Kellenic, who we talked about. Um, he's maybe more post-hyped and bounced back, but it's kind of the same because he's been in and out of the league a little bit. Um, so I think he just kind of fits that bill of guys who who has been there, he's had a taste and, and lost it. Um, I think of the other one, I'll shout it out, but might have been on Brandon's team. Torkelson, another guy who spent the year Kind of struggling, but for two bucks, it's a a nice little throw out of, I guess, post hype sleeper and a bounce back. But I guess bounce back means you were good to begin with. So (laughs) it doesn't really fit there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Giolito, I I hate to keep going back to him, but he was bad last year. And if he can get back, then he's a bounce back. So he's fits
0: the bill. Sure does. Yeah. Same with Miami. Oh, oh, my, yeah, Miami is someone I just completely forgot about. Did you get him? Yeah, he's
1: another nice. dollar guy.
0: Nice. Uh, anyone on your avoid list? Now, this, this could be bus. You know, guys who who went for a lot of money, or it could just be guys who didn't even go for a lot of money that you just for you just kind of went in and, and scratched to scratch their name off. Just really want no part of them.
1: The three were uh, Degrom, Scherzer, and Strider. Um, I, I talked about it earlier, where there's just question marks. Um, and again, I know I have guys who probably have question marks, but. These are guys who are going to go for big money question marks. And if I pay a little bit of money for a question mark, that's just a different story. So (laughs) I I didn't want to touch them at all. And um, Scherzer's probably the safest bet of the three to give you like 160, 180, maybe even 200 innings. But DeGrom, I don't know. Strider, he could do it. But I'm still scared of his two pitches.
0: So, I mean, I scratched all those guys off because I wasn't going to spend on pitching, but I would say that of the three – DeGrom is actually the one at 36 bucks who I don't mind that. I mean, there's all the risk in the world, but also like he is one of the best pitchers of all time. So if he yeah. can get healthy or if he can at least be healthy at the right time, you know, for Keith and be, Keith can make the playoffs. And if DeGrom's pitching in September, that's just, he's excellent. So I, I don't mind yeah. him as much. A couple of guys who who didn't go for a lot of money per se, one of them, not at all, but just guys I just didn't really want a part of this year. Uh, Ken Put a buck on Javi Baez. I mean, can't be mad at the dollar guy who who just he went thirty one eighteen just a year ago. But I'm just out on him, right? Like even including yeah. that really nice 2021 season, he's got a seven fourteen OPS over the last three years. He's mm. 30 years old now, not getting any younger. Like he can do it, but I and I, mean, I could look really foolish for this one. Uh I can understand. Like he could he could also he, you could put him in that bounce back category, right? Like there, there's. A dollar on a guy like Baez, like I can't say it's a bad buy, but it was just someone who <clears throat> going into the the draft, I just I wasn't going to get like at any price. And then the other yeah. one I would say I, I just wasn't really into is, is Whit Merrifield, who Eli got for 11 bucks, I And mean, he probably steals 20 bags again this year. But the power is disappearing. He'll probably be at the bottom of the order. And I just don't see how he works his way to the top of that Toronto order. So that's going to yeah. sap the runs in the RBI of a lackluster OPS and if he finds the way to the top of that lineup that changes things significantly but I just think that's a really uphill climb yeah I agree it's uh that that Toronto lineup is just deadly when it's on and if you're
1: the bottom like three guys which is going to be what Guriel, uh Biggio if he's playing and Merrifield and like they're stacked one through six but seven eight nine just like well they're good at defense maybe (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, if he hits knife, maybe get that whole second leadoff piece where he kind of can get on base in front of those guys. But it just really dings the volume. He just you can play a full season and only get you know five hundred thirty plate appearances just because you get as many opportunities down there. So anything else we didn't cover? We ran a good. I mean, ran longer than I anticipated, but uh, no, I I think this is a a a
1: good place to to put it. Put a pin in it. It was um, covered a lot of stuff, and uh, I got nothing else.
0: All right, man. Well, as always, I appreciate you hopping on and, and chatting and uh, won't catch you at the fields tomorrow. We don't play till almost one o'clock, but good Ugh. luck to get good luck pulling Wyatt out of bed and hopefully he gets a, a dominant inning on the mound.
1: It's gonna be just like opening day all over again. He's gonna be crying, he's gonna be mad. <laughs> 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 and then oh, when we get ahead. in the car to go home, he's gonna be like, Yeah, that was great. This is so fun. This is I love baseball, so at least there's and that. But it's gonna record. be a rough one.
0: Just record him saying that so you can show him next Friday night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I
1: mean, actually, next week we got four o'clock is our game, and I'm not even going to be here. What am I saying? It doesn't matter.
0: Oh, I yeah, we're is. gone. Fuck them, kids. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks,
1: thanks for having me as always. Um, everybody, enjoy. Have a good season. Be safe out there. All right. Take care, buddy. Good night. <laughs>